Welcome to an Economy Wellbeing Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Anielski. I'm very pleased today to have a new friend and guest, Jason Graham. Jason connected with me on LinkedIn and was very intrigued with uh, the well-being theme and work that I'm doing. And I discovered that he's an incredible uh, person, an international lecturer, a narrative designer, and owner of MJG Story Creation company whose purpose is to encourage entrepreneurship within the artistic community. After graduating from Howard University, Jason spent six years in Los Angeles working with a number of independent production companies to develop television series pilots, show Bibles, and feature film scripts. It was during that time that he saw the increasing demand for transmedia storytelling and created a narrative world-building platform. Along with consulting on transmedia and product development, Jason travels throughout the year as a guest panelist and presenting workshops on various aspects of storytelling at comic book, gaming, and writing conventions, such as Momocon, Gen Con, Dragon Con, and DreamHack, just to name a few. You can find out more about Jason Graham's work and MJG Story Creation at his website, www.mjgstorycreation.com. Jason and I cover, as usual, a wide range of interesting subjects from our relationships with our fathers, our families, and what well-being has to do about anything these days. I hope you enjoy this lively conversation with Jason, and please check him out. He's based out of Atlanta, Georgia, a remarkable human being, and as always, a pleasure to have on this auspicious podcast. Thanks for listening yeah but see that that's that's the thing is that we're not conditioned or or encouraged or taught to value that like we have to line up every minute and if you can't account for every minute then you're less valuable than other people who can show their work Mm. um but i just i made up my mind in the last year that I was not, no longer going to live that way. Um, and I've enjoyed life so much more. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So Jason Graham. Yeah. <laughs> welcome to the, uh, whatever podcast we call this right now, <laughs> the ministry of silly walks or, uh, <laughs> So thank you. You're thank the you creator of MJG Story Creation. Um, can you tell us a little bit about who you are, Jason, and what what motivates your um, story creation platform, and what are you hearing from people in terms of their stories? So I am a country boy from Indiana that went to college at Howard University. And then went out to Los Angeles to pursue dreams of being a writer, producer in Hollywood. Wow. Cool. Only to realize after spending six years there that I didn't need to be in Hollywood in order to do what I wanted to do. And now the establishment of MJG Story Creation is about teaching artists 
the importance of what they do. Hmm. Storytelling is about two things as far, well, three things as far as I'm, I'm concerned. The first thing has to do with the, well, everything's connected, but it's, it's past, present, and future. So storytelling is about telling the, the stories of the past, the lessons, handing them down. Mm-hmm. The Akan people have a, in um, West Africa, uh, have a concept called Sankofa, which is to go back and bring forward. And the idea is you take what's useful from the past and you bring it into the present and pass it forth to the future. Okay. So um, it starts there. So teaching, teaching the lessons and the messages that we feel are important to our children, important to the future. Then of course, uh, in the present, it's about storytelling is about creating your own life, creating the circumstances that you want to have in order to build a legacy, whatever that, whatever that legacy is. Mm. And then of course, the future, which is that legacy, but also understanding that your legacy is connected to the lives of people who are generations in the future. And so from my, from my standpoint, I want people who talk about me 150 years from now to be able to say, how I impacted their lives and how I made them want to be better people. Like that's, that's what it is. So that's kind of MJG story creation in a nutshell is teaching artists the importance of doing that. Interesting. So whether you're a, an actor, actress, a writer, um, all of it is storytelling, all of it is storytelling art, even visual art storytelling. Even people who are who are uh, sign language interpreters, they're storytellers as well because there's a certain culture and cadence in where in in the use of sign language that is particular. Just like um, someone's accent is, you know, how you can tell the difference between somebody who is from Edmonton and somebody who's from um, Atlanta. Atlanta where right. you are. <laughs> yes. You can definitely you can you can hear those differences. So it's the same thing for sign language. Huh. I I spent um some time following a uh, Matthew is Mac Max. But he does hip hop sign sign language. So he inter- he goes to hip hop concerts and does um in, in uh, sign language he interprets for um deaf and hard of hearing hip hop fans. And so he developed his own style that is a hip hop style of sign that, that goes with that. So all, all, of it, all of it is storytelling and communication. So uh, some of the conversations I've had with guests is about storyboarding, what we would like to see. Um, I mean, this is about economy well-being ideas. But in thinking about a storyboarding, a narrative of 
um, a future that we we would find more compelling than the current reality, which is a at best a dystopian. <laughs> I don't know what this is actually, except it's weird. Um, have you have you thought about um, painting a picture of what a future a better world would look like uh, based on the beginnings of America, which I think at least the idea of uh, we find these things self-evident uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness seemed like a good thing to start from, but of course it wasn't inclusive of all color and gender. Um, and, and so one of the questions I'm posing or is what would a new or restored declaration or whatever you want to call it constitution look like that that is a more compelling vision than we're, what we're currently living well it it occurs to me that we well everything is about discussion and marketing now but for me it seems like we make scarce the things that aren't scarce and then deplete the things that are scarce. So for me, a future would be like water, like prioritizing water and well, water period, since water is connected to everything, we need to, to restore the waters and stop whatever behavior is poisoning Mm. essentially poisoning everything i think that if we if we prioritize that then a lot of our a lot of our behavior a lot of the way that we live our lives would stop um that's profound i interviewed dr anisa ramirez and she wrote a book about how matter changes us as human beings the th things that we create how they impact us and in that book, I got a perspective on the light bulb that I never had before. Um, there was no 24 hours before the light bulb. Mm -hmm. And if we eliminated, if we just went with natural lighting, just eight hours a day and got our circadian, circadian rhythm back, not only would people not be overworked or it would be difficult to overwork them, but our actual health would improve. Like when I, when I quit my day job, actually going and, and working, um, I think I did that in January, I went to someplace. And so I worked into the afternoon and I would drive home in the evenings. When I quit that job, I started waking up and um, I read her book. And so I was like, well, I'm going to turn out all my lights. I'm only going to have sunlight, right? Wow. If I can't see by sunlight, I might turn my light on for maybe two hours, but then I'm going to go to bed. My circadian rhythm came back in like a month. Wow. And I started yawning at seven o'clock during the summertime. <laughs> There's so many things that we do that are, it, it just doesn't make sense. Like it, it doesn't add to, our quality of life you're working for a paycheck but then you know as you and i have talked about before you're constantly in debt 
like the debt just increases, they just hide it. Yeah, just hide it. That's right. It doesn't show up on your receipt. The money yeah. that you're paying or payments on the debt. Yeah. And now we're in this 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 uh kind of <laughs> I want to I want to say the term Kobayashi Maru for my um <laughs> Star Trek fans. Oh yeah out there. Yeah. Um we're in this no-win scenario where our parents have put themselves into debt or, or eliminated their retirement in order to give my generation an opportunity to get advanced degrees because we're in debt from going to school and not having enough degrees. And we're in debt from trying to live in the right places in order to send our children to the best schools. And so they're now the, I call them the hyperlineals. So now the hyperlineals are marching toward debt because we have too much debt. We can't send you to school. That's right. So all three generations are in debt. We're all enslaved in a p- perverse system that we don't even understand how it all started. Ta- getting back to your, you know, what, 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 how did this all emerge from the past? I mean, how do we get to where we are today? And isn't there a better way? Um, it's got to be a better way. So for me, it's just re literally like reclaim water, make water the priority. Anything that poisons our water um, has to go. And so everything connected to that, we, we, we would have a bright future. We, we probably have a lot of, because that's the future that I see. The future that I see is somewhat, well. <laughs> so why you're... What, so is, this, are you laughing because if your relatives hear this podcast, they'll say, there goes Jason again? Or Yeah, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm laughing because, well, that, but also, you know, this is, this is the, science, the science fiction, my, my love of science fiction and kind of conjuring the future. Yeah. I see that Amazon has um, actually gotten um, intellectual property uh, trademarks and patents for essentially helicarriers plans for helicarriers that are um what are those um drones yeah yeah so they operate like drones and so what i can see is a company like amazon deciding that hey we're going to capture the water rights from the clouds and so it's it's like it's i don't know if you've seen tank girl no the, okay, well, it, it was a world where the water corporation controlled everything because they controlled water. Right. And so this is, this is where, for me, making sure that there's water freedom is important because if you capture water from the air, your land rights to the lakes mean nothing. And so for me, that's the kind of thing that I think you know, people are like, well, that's, that's kind of crazy. That wouldn't, okay. (laughs) Science fiction today becomes science fact 30 years from now. So, yeah, I think Bechtel tried that in, uh, was it Ecuador or whatever, where they claimed the rights of the water coming off your roof. Right. And the people revolted. And I think how ridiculous you, no one owns the water that comes from the sky. I don't care what kind of corporation you are. Um, well, actually, here in America, there are some some states that have laws that you cannot collect water. Like you can be arrested 
for collecting <laughs> rainwater. So. Um, that has to do more with infrastructure stuff because they want to be able to charge you for plumbing. Essentially, they want to be able to water tax you um, from the local reservoir. So, I mean, it's 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 just those things. So for me, the natural resources, water, air, land, those are the things that we need to reclaim. And if any of that gets poisoned in any capacity, it has to be redressed because you, you, you just can't survive. Uh, what's his name wants to go to Mars and build. Man. And I'm like, we don't take care of the earth. What makes you think that when we go to another planet, if, if we're, if we're actually able to go that we would do any better in that planet, we don't have the proper behaviors here on this planet. Yeah. I, I, I feel the same way about Elon and, yeah, Elon. That's him. Elon, like, anyways, Elon, you went to Queen's University in Canada. I guess you didn't learn very much about water. <laughs> but I, I you think did. your point's well taken. A lot of the indigenous elders talk about that it's all about water. Even the climate change issue isn't, isn't about carbon, it's about water. And, mm -hmm. of course, we're made up of water. So, uh, you, you know. You think that would be our number one priority. Yeah. But. No. And, and I often smile as an economist is, you know, it's funny we use water metaphors for money, like liquidity and currency and banks. And so right in our face are the, is the water metaphor. So that means money must be like water because if you try to hoard it and dam it up, it, 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 gets, it gets putrefied. It, you know, it's not healthy. And, and that's exactly how our economy works is we're not healthy when the, when the, lifeblood of the economy isn't flowing freely and without control really yeah wow i have um i have plans to design a house that uh uses mirrors in order to uh, catch light and reflect it so there's a there's a lighting system um that it uses a candle at night. And um, so just, just getting back to like healthy food and healthy um, sleep. Mm. You know, we're supposed to be spending a third of our life, roughly a quarter to a third of our life sleeping because we need that regeneration cycle. But our lifestyle is not no. um, <laughs> conducive <laughs> to that. So um, just really, like you said, stepping back to the, the things of value to our elders, um, the things that we need, that, that's the future that, that I see. And what's your reflection on where we are today? So I'm, I'm of two minds about it because for every terrible thing that happens, there's also a wonderful thing that happens. Mm. So I've also discovered in the last year that my mental health is connected to where I focus. And so I do acknowledge that there are terrible things that are happening, but I can't, I can't stay in that, um, that kind of churn 
mm. because it literally impacts my health. I, I, I become um, very um, dark. I become very... Um, You're diseased. Yeah, I'm dis diseased and paranoid and all of those things. And I, I mean, I'm a storyteller, so I have a wild imagination. <laughs> and it has taken me five years to retrain myself to not go to the worst, the the worst case scenario. Because typically, I go to the worst case scenario first, uh, just just from my rearing and kind of the way that I grew up in in having to prepare for things, but going to the worst case scenario doesn't leave for much of a, a hopeful future or even a future with a life that you can share with other people who are hopeful that you can learn from. Mm. So I've had to reprogram myself in that way. Wow. So what is your favorite story ever told then other than your own or most compelling for you? Like a, it could be science fiction. It could be. That's, that's interesting. So there's two that I always hold on to. Um, so one is the Roots miniseries. Oh. Where you get to see generationally what happens to people who work toward a goal. Mm. Um, it, and it starts, it starts with hope, basically. So with, with, with Kunta hoping to escape and hoping to get his family out and not, not ever making it, to then his great-grandson being able to escape to freedom. And so being able to watch the maturation in the family and how they never gave up hope and always advanced themselves as much as they could wherever they were. I would say that's my, my um, favorite as far as that is concerned, the generational impact. Then there's another film called Jason's Lyric, um, which is one Alan Payne and one of uh, Jada Pinkett Smith's first films about a young man who actually shot and killed his father when he was a child because his father was a Vietnam vet and was beating up on his mother. Um, and he was trying to protect his mother. He didn't want to kill his dad, but his brother kind of followed, his younger brother kind of followed the same path as his father. And so Jason was in a position of responsibility being the man of the house, always making decisions to help his mom and to help his brother, no matter how many times his brother was in and out of jail. And so I really resonated with that character. He, of course, he finds Jada Pinkett Smith's character and they fall in love. And she has a similar situation with her brother being a bank robber. <laughs> um, and so the, the, his brother and her brother get together to do a bank job and uh, it is the, the, his brother fumbles it. And so they beat, her brother beats his brother up. And so Jason has to make a choice as to whether or not he's going to defend his brother and he gets, in, he gets involved. And so it, it's just, it's the, the complications of life and understanding that 
love is wanting a brighter future mm. requires that you turn in the direction of that bright future. It requires that you let go of um, the pain of the past and, and do something new. So those are my two favorite stories. Wow. <laughs> so let's riff a little bit on transcending intergenerational trauma and um, on the theme of love. What, what's, what are your reflections on from the stories you've, from those you've encountered or uh, people's stories that you've heard? What gives you hope that we can transcend these traumas that sometimes ripple through our children and grandchildren when how do we kind of come to peace with do we transcend the trauma it's and this might sound like a cop-out answer but just growing up and understanding my parents and my grandparents what their lives were mm. you really don't understand the circumstances under which your parents have made decisions <laughs> until you reach their age. Yes, is that true? And so there is a there is patience that is necessary from not only just from the parent to the child, but also to the child to the parent as well. Um, I, you know, like everyone else, I was always talking to my father and my mother about the things that they should have done that they did not do. And why would you make this decision and blah, 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 blah. And so over the last 10 years, it's kind of been a reckoning of, oh, this isn't as black and white as you guys made it seem like. And so the realization that your parents tell you things in black and white, because they're trying to give you the best case scenario but you can't understand that as a kid. Right. So, so and, go ahead. I'm sorry. So are you, I, I'm just interjecting because I'm excited by, I always, this is my, my shortcoming with my guests. I'm like, I get so excited by your story because it reminds me of what I'm going through with my, my parents. And, you know, my dad's reminiscing. It was November 14th, 1953. He arrived at Ellis Island on a boat from Hamburg, Germany. And, and of course, I have a I have a sense of that story. He was seventeen, and you know, and uh, and I thought certain things actually happened. And he said, "No, actually, that's not what happened." And yet, his sister would say, "No, no, he's he's complete romantic about actually that that he came to Canada all on his own." Oh, you, you know. Anyways, you know, it's, so it's fascinating who's telling the story. Uh, but to your point, sometimes you know, I, now I have more compassion for my father who lived as a young boy through the, you know, through the war on the, on the German side, but it's just fascinating when we sit down with our parents and listen to their stories and hopefully record them before they pass on. And, and you're right. It's not, it's not black and white. It's actually pretty gray. And then almost, and, and it leaves you with, I think a little bit more compassion for your parents that you might've had when you were 15 and going, why didn't you just, you know, Right. <laughs> Why did you just? Um, when my father passed, uh, it's, it's been almost ten years now. Um, I actually founded I actually founded MJG Story Creation on his birthday. He was born on 
Valentine's Day. Wow. Um, so I founded, a, founded MJG Story Creation in honor of him. The, the, uh, his birthday, it was like, it's been like, he passed in November. And I founded MJG Story Creation in February. Mm-hmm. And um, the following February, uh, February 14th, Valentine's Day, and when we, me and my sister went through his effects, I had always heard the story about my, like the fact that he was actually um, beating, a, trying to beat a rape case. He was, he was, uh, in, he was a uh, sailor and he was trying to beat a, a, a rape case. He'd been accused of rape and how he did a, managed to do a plea deal and was able to get out five days before I was born. And he actually, he actually delivered me in the hospital because my mother, being my mother, um, <laughs> she, got in, she got into an argument with the doctor and the nurses. And, um, and, and that was due to, her, due to her relationship with doctors and nurses growing up as well. That's another story. Mm-hmm. But um, so he actually ended up physically delivering me in the delivery room because my mother refused to let the doctor or nurses touch her. Wow. And um, I found the paperwork, his other than honorable, dishonorable discharge, other than honorable discharge. And it was dated five days before I was born. Whoa. <laughs> so to have an actual artifact of the story that I've been told my, literally my entire life, it just puts so many things into focus. And then um, just understanding, like you said, it's who tells the story. Up until last year, I'd always talked about how, I'd always told my, my story of, of how me and my sister came into the world under the circumstances of, you know, why would my parents be so selfish about, you know, bringing a child into the world when they could barely take care of themselves? They got, they got married when they were 17, 16, 17, respectively. Mm-hmm. And then my father went into the military so that he could, well, he went into the military first and then got uh, married to my mom. So, and I was like, well, what would possess you to have children <laughs> when you knew that you weren't really capable? And so last year I was having my, a conversation with my mom about it. And she thanked, thanked me and Jen because we gave her the opportunity to be a mother mm. and wow. to feel love. That's amazing. And she had said that before, but for some reason at 45, <laughs> it resonated with me and I got it. And I was like, wait, so my origin story is about two teenagers who lived a life of literal hell and refused to accept that that was all the world that had to offer them and that they were determined to go and make their own, their own world. But it was the first time that I had phrased it that way. And it immediately brought me to tears because I finally understood that my origin was a happy one. It wasn't, you know, this, this, this dark thing. So Wow. Yeah. So what a what a privilege too. I mean, we know the terrible statistics about African American men and 
how so many end up in uh, in the for-profit prison systems. And uh, what's so you you're reflecting on your father and saying my father was a good father. I mean, your mother thanks you for for the opportunity to be a mother. Um, what how how do you feel about young men today who their fathers may not be present to them and what, what's your sense of hope or promise of a future that's better than now? So for me, the first thing is we have been as a society because of how we practice economics, there's this kind of Highlander um, mentality. I, sorry, I'm, I'm, continuing to date myself so the film Highlander, <laughs> I love it. the highlanders yeah <laughs> yeah um there can be only one so you got to chop everybody else's head off and so that you can stand atop mm. of the bile the, the the pile of dead bodies and receive all the power mm. um whereas all the entirety of human existence we would have never survived if we had if we had practiced that seriously that's right we're cooperative by nature <laughs> we have to cooperate yeah so you may have your father and that's great but he is not the only male that is in your your circle mm. he's not in your you know, he and she should not be the mm. only male who is in your council of elders mm. and it's time that we recognize that you have uncles, you have teachers, you have, uh, if you go to church or whatever, whatever your religious or philosophical affiliation is, all of those relationships help to mold you into the person that you are going to become. Mm. Where I think we have been falling short for the last 80 or so years is that we have moved toward more homogeny. You need a variety of, of people, of, of experiences in order to be able to pick and choose like a buffet. Mm. Uh, I call them possibility role models. So if you wanna be a millionaire, for instance, and that's your goal, if your parents aren't millionaires, they can't teach you how to be a millionaire. That's right. <laughs> you have to go to somebody else. So. And, and, and the millionaire might okay. tell you, it's actually not a, you think being a millionaire is easy. <laughs> it's actually just as hard as being poor. Sometimes <laughs> you might not, you might not want that. Exactly. But that's kind of, that's where I'm at on that is a village mentality needs to be embraced, re-embraced again. And, and with the variety of it, there needs to be a contest of, of ideas and lifestyles and being um, a willingness to not dismiss out of hand other people's experiences, simply because they're not your experience or you heard that it was dangerous or maybe you had a bad experience with that type of person but it doesn't mean that because that experience didn't work for you, it won't work for your kids. Mm -hmm. Can you, can you talk about that on that subject? I mean, I've always felt that, you know, if, if you, if we, if we, 10 of us sat in a circle 
or 20 of us, you know, all, all the answers to our questions, our burning questions will probably be found when we moved around the circle and shared a little bit of our story. Uh, in your story creation platform and what you're doing, are you finding that, is there, is there a space where people can benefit from listening to other stories and finding inspiration from that sharing? I have a world building process that I use. It's a narrative design, the narrative design process, epic story creation. I've branded it many different things depending on who the audience is. But the idea is that the character, the main character, the protagonist is crafted in order to tell, in order to learn the message of the story. So I, I work with artists to be able to, what is the message of your story? And to be able to hammer that down and then build characters that advance that message. And mm -hmm. so the protagonist is the perfect person to learn the message of the story so that the audience can see it. Um, one of the ways that my world building system is different from anybody else's world building system is the characters are the characters have communities and represent are part of communities that are that are um, that are written out. So you the character knows that they're a member of this community and they know what what. Um, what that community provides them, the advantages of that community, it's listed. Okay. And then they also know what the character's responsibilities to that community are. Interesting. Yeah. And so that plays heavily in the stories that I teach people to write. So mm -hmm. the importance of community is right there in the storytelling. That's fascinating. So a clear understanding of both capacities, but responsibilities. Absolutely. And I, I think that that's also what we kind of miss out on, right? Like you were saying earlier with the millionaire, you know, we, we, we see the millionaire on social media and they're driving the great car and they got the yeah. big house and everything else. What we don't see is the mountain of debt that they're incurring in order to have that great big house and how they have to work 90 to 100 hour weeks or uh, yeah, 90 to 100 hour weeks in order to maintain that and that they're a functional alcoholic or drug addict. That's on right. Top of it. That's right. When you might be happier with the paid for uniform working at McDonald's and your net hourly wages, well, it's not going to be the same, but you get the point, you know, it's, um, but yeah, we, we think that their life is somehow more glamorous and easy, but ain't necessarily. So. Mm -mm. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. So my final question. Okay. What gives you hope? Um, the hyperlineals. I don't know if you can tell, you know, I'm a, a big. Um, oh, that's right. Oh, I remember your last shirt said Hi hyperlineals mindset. There you go. Hyperlineal mindset. So wow. the hyperlineals are the ones that are the children of the millennials. Okay. And they really have decided that they've worked, they've watched their parents and their grandparents work. <laughs> yeah. These corporations for years. <laughs> and there's not much joy in their lives. And they're like, no, we're not, we're not doing it. We're not doing that. Um, 
if I don't like this job, I, I'm I'm quitting. I'm like I'm no call, no show. Yeah, I'll find something I, else. I'll just find. I know I'll find something else. And yeah, it's the so worst that, that can happen, right? I can wash dishes. I don't, you know. And they're like, you know, those student loans. I'm not worried about it. Um, wow. And I, they're, you know, they're being colored as being like privileged and ungrateful and unwilling to work, but we're not looking at the fact that their jobs are unfulfilling. Yeah. Wow. That is, that's deep, Jason. Well, actually it's not, it's, it brings me joy. Cause I see that too. I see, you know, young, young people just pursuing, I say you're, you're actually pursuing their joy. You're not pursuing a yes. paycheck. You know, I grew up with the German work ethic, work hard, you know, and, uh, our, you know, dad's question, are you busy? I'm like, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm busy. Did you ask me, do you have great clients who love me? No, he didn't ask that. But if you asked me that, I would say, yeah, for the most part, that's true too. And so I always tell you young people, the best business advice is follow your joy. You know, you're, you're your joy will take you or your sense of your joy from what you do with your gifts will allow you to sail. Right. And fly. I tell them too to, to not be. A, so don't. The thing that I've been telling them is just because something is not your favorite doesn't mean that you hate it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we, we have to get away from this polarized mindset of either I love it or I hate it. There, you know, God created nature, wonder, and there are so many varieties and variations. And just the very concept that you could only make two choices and that your choices aren't along a spectrum. It's just, it's, it's ridiculous and it's actually harmful. Life is not binary. I mean, no. not in nature. I mean, yeah, it's not an IO, uh, you know. <laughs> We're not a computer program. We're not a but even... Even a computer program, though, you have maybe. Like, exactly. You have maybe. I mean, if you've written Fortran or C++ blah, 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 like we did probably or I did, you know, it's like, yeah, even then it's like, so I'm not afraid of artificial intelligence anymore. It's like our human capacity for intuition, for compassion, for love can never be created in an algorithm or a no way. There's impossible. So. Elon, you can go to one-way ticket to Mars and I'll wave at you from, from this side of the universe. Absolutely. Because <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, the more of those type personality types that go to Mars, the better. Like, <laughs> the better, that's right. Go, you go ahead and go to Mars and maybe we'll have time to, to over the next four generations reverse some of the damage that that has been done so that we can make the planet livable again i'm not concerned about the planet itself because the planet will always be here i'm concerned about us because the planet's like the planet goes through cycles every you know every hundred million years it's constantly going through a cycle the planet will be just fine without us I, i'm i'm trying to be here for as long as possible yeah no it i mean i always jokingly say you know there's climate has always been changing and uh, for me from my perspective we we actually still live in in paradise we live in eden uh mm -hmm. if we just are in right relationship with with the natural world 
and with each other. And that's it. It's pretty simple. It seems simple enough, but of course we're, we have all kinds of excuses and that's what this kind of program is about. It's like, what are those things that are blocking us from pursuing well-being and joy? Because once we get in touch with that, you say, well, what I usually hear is I got bills to pay. I got a mortgage to pay. Right. Those are all human created things. Right. They're all made up human made up thing. It's a fantasy. It's, it's genius, but you know, maybe Star Trek or Star Wars or whatever has a different, I never hear them talking about scarcity of money in Star Wars. No, or, or Star Trek or Star Trek. It was like, we had phasers. We had, we could create food from just, uh, we had, uh, you know, the lithium crystals firing, you know, our spaceships and we went wherever we wanted to go. And Gene Roddenberry mustn't mean the only one who was fantasizing about what's possible. I actually think that there was a book that was written talking about how you could have a moneyless society in the future, like how economically Star Trek would work. I think I heard that. Yeah, I, I heard that too. And I mean, that's what I've been working on. It's like, you know, the ancient Polynesians, the ones who the Chinese actually adopted their shell economy, uh, were the original founders of the notion of wampum, of, sh- of shell-based money systems, right? Mm-hmm. And wow. they're like, so what's the modern version of seashell economy today? Like, what, I mean, why a seashell even? Um, and the fact that the Chinese actually then developed coin, coinage out of that, um, is interesting and then it's kind of this train wreck ever since right <laughs> it's like well somebody was probably trying to compound the interest find a reason to change the rules right because of something shiny and new yeah and behind that motivation is a, is a mentality of greed and control right so here we go again it's like no if we were all if we're all gifted with the abundance and you you touched on circadian uh rhythm and time right if we followed the sun and our bodies just paid attention to sleeping one, like right now we have where I live, you know, the sun will set in about one, no, not one hour, probably five 30 and it won't come up till 8 AM. Um, and it's weird. I like you, I start, I, by eight o'clock, I'm like, I think it's time to go to bed. And it's like, really? I was like, yeah, my body's going, go sleep 10 hours or nine hours. If, if you feel like you need it. We have to start paying attention to ourselves. Like we've, I mean, that's before, who said that? <laughs> Someone, I can't think of how they phrased it, but basically understanding yourself helps you to understand others. So the first step, so if you're ignoring pain, for instance, then you're more likely to ignore somebody else's pain because you know, well, everybody has pain. Well, I don't like my job. Well, I don't like my job, but I still have to work it. But if you paid attention to the fact that you didn't like your job, you would be more receptive and, and more um, compassionate to somebody who said that they don't like their job. That's right. That's right. Wow. Well, Jason, um, thank you for being on this uh, Lazy River podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not 
and we'll uh, park our little rowboat in a little eddy now and uh, just but thanks for being my guest oh no thank you for having me this has been a lot of great fun um i'm not often on this this end of the podcast so <laughs> i know i know we can laugh about it because we're both podcasters right but it's sure fun having a podcast because it's, it's all about stories that's uh i'm glad you were on the show because you're a you're a bona fide storyteller or story creator so thank you 